and welcome to the Red Mountain Community Church podcast, where you can hear conversations with the people of Red Mountain Community Church as we pursue Jesus together. Each episode highlights what God is doing in someone's life or a specific theme in light of what God has revealed in the Bible. I'm Peter Franson, your fellow seat warmer at Red Mountain Community Church. My co-host today is Dave Amy, our pastor of family and community. I... I keep thinking I'm going to say pastor of men's ministry. That's the context I know you in. But no, you really are the pastor of family and community. And you and I know you and Dell are interfacing with different people on family type things. So I keep forgetting that. But I. Yeah, it's kind of one of those titles that continues to transform. Mm. So, because I think it's, there's just a lot of nooks and crannies that they allow me to minister to. Nice. So, marriage, or yeah, family, community. Kind of as a broader net. So here we are recording close to the end of January. How was your Christmas holiday and New Year's season? How are your clothes fitting? Mine are tighter for sure. I don't know what happened. Maybe something in the wash. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had an exciting uh, year because our two oldest uh, kids got married and I got to perform both of those weddings. Oh. So we had a very fun filled, exciting planning year and did you guys see each other during the christmas season at all or uh yes and no because we had spent so much time with them because they both live here uh it was only fair to uh send them back sure to the extended family because we get kind of spoiled and we have to remember that like hey we can see them anytime yeah so if we don't see them on the day it's really not that big of a deal yeah like we're we'll be okay yeah so uh but we did we figured ways to do that before and after but yeah it's been a, a blessing to uh, get to spend time with our family here in beautiful Arizona and uh, and not cold Chicago. So cool. that's nice. <laughs> All right. You can't resist the irresistible question. Are you ready, <laughs> David? I <A>. hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Would you rather take cold showers every day or eat cold meals every day? Ooh. That's tricky because cold showers are actually good for your metabolism. So from a health-wise, that's not so bad, and I think you just get used to it. Mm. And it's good for your muscles. And then food, you just if you picked enough things that were tasty that were cold, you could probably do it. So What's it going to be? But I like steaks, uh, and I like warm food. So I think... I would go with cold showers. Yeah. Okay. So I was honestly just trying to give you space to think and not influence your decision because this is a freaking no brainer to me. You take the cold showers. Yeah. You take the cold showers. You because you you'll learn to endure. Yeah. It's this one thing. You know what? It'll it would get me in and out of that whole process just faster, more efficiently. You mentioned about the metab- metabolism. I didn't even think about that. I think I heard though that there's something maybe about skin or pores that might be good i don't know yeah but it's it sounds good it, yeah sure let's <laughs> and and let's be honest most of the world probably is taking cold showers I or sp- cold yeah. or you know yeah. maybe not steamy hot ones so we're probably a little bit yeah spoiled. we're like overly decadent with yeah. all of our warm water so yeah maybe we should just give it a shot and some foods i mean come on you gotta have it at a certain temperature or it's all wrong well you some foods you just couldn't eat I mean, that would... Yeah, that's true. You'd die. They, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to say, like, about the substance. Like, well, some things, you know, they're solid only at certain temperatures, but... Okay. Well, that too. I mean, there's a whole other thing going on there. <laughs> Wait a minute. What are you eating regularly in your rhythms of life that if it's not the right temperature, you die, Dave? Well, like, you can't eat chicken, just, like, cold. Oh, I see. well, I think, you I think to you're allowed to prepare it. Oh, you can prepare so it first, and then you have, to, it's then you have to put it in the fridge? I think it can be hot while prepared. I think the question is, like, oh. eating cold meals. Yeah, like, soup would be nasty. <laughs> yeah. Like, that has to be You're like, this is warm. some weird savory yeah. cereal. <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. Well, as a reminder, (laughs) you can message us on Instagram or Facebook with suggestions for fun things that we could do or talk about before the interview. So if that didn't tickle your fancy, that's all on you. You got to send us stuff that you would like to hear instead. But for now, we are going to move things along. Uh, Just a little while ago, Dave and I spent some time talking with Preston Zeller about uh, just his experience working through grief through painting. 
Um, and there's a lot of interesting facets to that. We could only get to some of them, but it uh, yielded, I think, some worthwhile conversation. So here is that for you right now. Well, Preston, thank you so much for being willing to sit down and, and talk. And just to, uh, for those who are, of course, just starting to listen now, um, our producer, Arian, just uh, prayed before we got started and uh, reminded me in her prayer in that context that Kyle was just teaching this morning as we record this on uh, January 28th, uh, Sunday afternoon. Kyle just touched on in his teaching today how um, our future hope changes the way that we grieve. And I just can't help but see some of God's timing in what we're going to talk about with you, Preston. But before we get into that, I, I would like to just get a brief snapshot of how you would describe your current stage of life, you know, whether that's you want to talk about that in terms of family composition or work or what you're doing to keep busy, just whatever kind of brief snapshot you want to, you want to give. Yeah, sure. So, um, first of all, thank you, um, Peter and Arian and Dave and just the church for having me, um, on this to just discuss my journey with you guys and, and all sorts of other things we might get into. But I mean, yeah, I'm, you know, I've been married for almost 12 years. I have three kids. They're seven, nine, and 10. So oldest two girls and my boy, my youngest. And, uh, we, we started coming here. Um, I want to say like, uh, April, 2023. So we just moved up to the area and we moved to Arizona from Texas in um, September 2022. And we kind of coming into here, why I even mentioned that was like, we, we're, we're coming out of somewhat of like a drought for us, like for community. Mm. It was really hard to get into a good church community in Texas. We moved there right before COVID and that mm. made a lot of stuff all weird there. Oh, yeah. And then just didn't really connect with any of the churches we went to. So we were going to one in uh, further Southeast Valley and Gilbert and then started coming here and really started um, just connecting with, of course, through the men's group and Dave and just different um, activities here. And, um, you know, I, I, aside from painting and being art, an artist, I, I do all sorts of other stuff in the artistic realm as well. And video production, we'll get into that. Um, and then I run a software company. So, okay. um, yeah, I've, and I've been in software and tech for uh, quite a number of years. And, um, it's, it's interesting how the two kind of blend over and in, in, into each other and, mm-hmm. yeah. um, the, uh, having an artistic, you know, outlet and also, um, the professional world and of course all that being a missionary field. So, um, that's sort of where, where I'm at and just, you know, I think on a broader level, just learning to, um, understand, um, how to, how to better use my spiritual gifts, um, how to support others and, and what theirs may be and develop my families and my kids and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I just see what like the amazing supernatural, um, the, the spiritual side of our faith, of course, and w- how, what kind of impact we can have on the world mm. um, beyond just mere words yeah. and um you know, what does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. So then how did, so you, um, what, I might've missed it. What brought you specifically to, to Arizona and to Mesa? And then also like what specifically led you to check out, uh, RMCC and like start getting connected and stuff? Yeah. So I, when I was living in Texas, I started a job out here. Um, and this was like, um, beginning of 2022. And when I started it, I'm like, no way I'm moving, no way I'm moving. And finally, there's a number of things that took place. It was like, okay, maybe this is, you know, this could make sense to move. Yeah. Um, obviously prayed on that. And even with the support that was offered to me to move by my company, it was like, I still don't want to. Hmm. Um, so it was like, you know, taking that to prayer, of course. But um, once we came out here, it was like, all right, this is a fresh start, uh, an opportunity to kind of think about the way we're doing things differently. And you were specifically landing in Mesa? Well, I, I was in Gilbert initially because we okay. you know, we sold the house there and I didn't want to just like jump into buy here. And, you know, the market was also like pretty tumultuous at the time. Okay. Um, but we, so the community right uh, by here, the new one, we happened to look in there and it was like, 
we walked in they're like you guys need all these things in a house and at a steep discount I'm like yeah <laughs> so that was one of those things where god's like here it is yes, yeah please. wow yeah and so we're like all right well you know this we like this spot um and then church wise we knew we wanted to be very very close mm. um so it it would be hey there's there's zero excuse not to be mm. involved in going and um so then we tried here one Sunday, and I, I immediately liked it. It took a few times to get a kids, you know, kids turn around. Mm-hmm, and, sure. Um, and then my wife started liking it more and getting involved in groups and whatnot. So great. That was, I mean, honestly, it was just like location, right? Mm, location proximity. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, very uh, uh, God driving the the doors that way. Yeah. You know? Well, I appreciate your your awareness of just how location matters, your proximity to your church matters, and just seeing that as an important priority, um, because if you really want to invest in the life of the church and you're living like 30, 40 minutes away... I mean, good gravy. I don't know how you're gonna <laughs> how you're gonna make that happen. No, and we we had actually had a period in uh, so we we've lived in a number of places, um, but we lived in Washington State for a while and uh, kind of right on the border of um, Oregon, so like the Portland metro area. And um, I went through a period where I was kind of really trying to re understand my faith and. Um, tried I got into Hebrew roots a bit right and so that's not a typical Sunday church I guess so mm-hmm. we started going mm-hmm. an hour and a half away to a different congregation mm-hmm. oh, wow. and we saw and this is when our kids were like very very young mm-hmm. you know um, like my kid my boy was one okay so <laughs> we just saw how unsustainable that was for us too and, yeah you know, it felt very unfair for my wife it was like yes we're like being around other believers, but we're also like putting this crazy taxing commute. Mm. Um, and we actually thought about trying to move closer to that one. This Mm -hmm. is down in Salem, Oregon. And, uh, the doors were closed there, um, for reasons we later figured out. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, proximity for sure. Yeah. Um, it's important to us. So uh, I'm interested just in that perspective, like like right at the start of this conversation, I hear you valuing connection to the local church. And of course, that makes me wonder just kind of like your your home life as a kid and mm. like how you initially came to faith in Jesus. So I, I wonder if you could just kind of like give us a little picture of that. Yeah. I mean, I so I grew up in a, um, you know, Christian family. Okay. Um, my, I definitely say my... Um, Actually, I'll say the dynamic of my parents is interesting because my dad is 14 years older than my mom. Oh, okay. So my dad was born in 43. Um, so it, it's like coming out of World War II, mm. parents were in depression, um, you know, so grew up in poverty. And my mom grew up going to uh, Baptist church with the family that was a little more stable there. So that was kind of the makeup of their relationship um, and and going into, I think, you know, how they raised us. So I saw, I think, you know, my mom is a little bit more, you know, took the torch more um, okay. from a faith perspective. Um, and they're both believers for sure, still are. So they're both still alive. But um, we made it a point to be involved with our, our church growing up and, um I, you know, I did VBS and things like that. So, uh, but I think just, you know, beyond even growing up um, and I'll, I'll get back to like my conversion in a moment, but beyond even growing up, I just knew from reading scripture and experience and, and having done it kind of the opposite way of like, I'm having a really hard time um, jibing with the theology at the churches I was visiting. Okay. And I tried to do um, like Saturday morning Torah readings with my family and find other people to do that kind of stuff. Mm. And I just, it it was very, very difficult. Again, some of this was like through, um, you know, the thick of COVID, but um, yeah, I, I, you know, so I, I prayed sinner's prayer when I was pretty young, probably like first or second grade. Okay. But just wandered pretty far off into like college and it wasn't until about a year out of college um that i had like a true conversion experience okay Uh, it was at a calvary chapel men's conference in southern california so it was like i don't know twenty thousand guys Mm. at a huge amphitheater and um they just did like an altar call and, and and i had that impression before um going to that event that 
oh, um, well, I, you know, prayed this prayer when I was a kid and mm. I'm good. And, and, um, just not really realizing there's still something missing. Um, and so there's of course a lot more to it than that, but that was definitely the point, like where I had a sweeping, uh, spiritual change go on, like mm. felt the Holy spirit come about me and like just change my ways, mm. you know? So, mm. um, yeah. Okay. So, um, just in kind of our email correspondences and just, uh, just some of the hints I picked up from watching, uh, the, uh, the documentary, which we'll uh, talk about in just a little bit, but the sense I get is that, um, a major part of your formation and your walk with the Lord is the result of your brother passing away as an mm. adult, um, which didn't happen uh, crazy long ago. And it just sounds like it, you know, must have been really shaping in some ways for you. So I'm wondering if you could briefly share how he passed away and when that was. Yeah. So he passed away almost five years ago to the day. So February 2019. Okay. Um, drug overdose is okay. the short of it. Um, I, you know, the, when I decided to do this documentary, um, of course I had a lot of the initial like crisis that people do when you go through a loss. And I mean, I think there's losses people experience that are, um, they're sad, but they're not like profoundly sad for you. Hmm. Um, like you, you go, I ah, just, you know. It, it it's not it doesn't feel like it rocks your world okay. <laughs> for lack of a better word yeah mm -hmm. and so that's what my brother's was this something that leaves you in real true utter disbelief um so anyways that was that but it's like okay well i'm i've always been kind of a really introspective person and um part of doing you know the the painting that i did and also the um the process of the documentary and the historical aspect of it was like really having to delve into all the different ways that i might understand grief um surely scripturally and, and realizing that um how much of the bible is actually written from people who are in grief mm -hmm. and just what they're lamenting. And mm -hmm. it's funny because we talked about this in our uh, men's group last week, uh, but just uh, the Psalms, of course, but just the general condition of like humanity throughout thousands of years is like, there's constantly something going wrong. And it's usually, I think um, God, you know, lamenting what we're doing. Mm. And then we have to like catch up and go, Oh yeah, we are in the wrong. Mm, yeah. And, and that sort of continual cycle. And of course that'll, you know, uh, end, but at some point, but I, I think just, you know, you're looking at I think any, everything in life you experience, you go back to scripture and you look at verses or whatever and you go, Oh, I get that now. Yeah. And so that, that's a lot of what, um, I think, you know, part of, part of my grieving experience is like. So just to fill in some gaps, because we've kind of been uh, hinting at it and dancing around a little bit, um, but you made this documentary um, about your decision to process your grief through painting every day mm -hmm. over the course of one year. And I've seen the documentary. Uh, anybody that wants can watch it on Amazon Prime Video for free. It won a few awards, so congrats mm -hmm. on that. It's called The Art of Grieving, The Art of Grieving. Um, so... It, I already picked up earlier, painting was already a part of your life, painting in this style, which is a, a sort of an abstract style, right? Mm -hmm. And eventually each of these smaller paintings, which are about maybe the size of a spread hand, and yeah, right? About and eight by 10. Eight, yeah. Okay, eight by 10. And then uh, that was eventually assembled into a mosaic mm -hmm. uh, around your house. Had you ever done like mosaic before or this style of painting before that was already kind of like part of... Uh, yeah, so the um, a, a lot of even before like me getting back into painting, like um, and I painted in, like high school was probably the last time I did a lot of like physical painting. Okay, and that was more like oh, I'm in fine art courses. I started um, I started studying like cubism at the time, which is like George Brock or um, Picasso. Okay, uh, some some works of Picasso. And that's like um, analytical cubism was what I really uh, dug into there. But then I've been a musician a long time. And so a lot of what I did in music was um, I learned how to improvise. Mm. So, you know, you're, you're playing, you know, blues uh, chords or jazz chords or whatever. 
I, I had, it was a goal of mine just to be able to like riff on that, mm, mm-hmm. which is very much the same idea. Have you ever watched someone just like solo, um, any instrument it's, it's, it's all this like fluidity of thought and when, what you're feeling at the time, which mm. is partially what makes it so interesting. Um, a 20 minute drum jazz solo is probably the epitome of that <laughs> but, um, but but the style of painting um, abstract expressionism is one term or abstract um, intuitive abstract uh, I I gravitated towards that because I'm like you know this is just how I like to express myself where it's like I'm not I'm not painting something really literal um, that is a landscape. I'm not painting a portrait, um, you know, representational artwork. I I really just want something to be a projection of my mind Mm. and then roll with it as it starts to come out on the canvas. And so um, it kind of like mixed that on an extreme level with doing this sort of like visual journaling through the paintings. Okay. Was that... um was that uh, related to your decision to like, okay, I'm going to specifically enter into grieving through this creative outlet. And you had mentioned that this passing compared to some other types of experiences that we could have was not a completely destroy your world type of passing, but still nevertheless, something you recognize I, I need to process this. So was that the, the choice to do it through art um, an effort to bring emotion out to process it, or was like I'm just curious, like why specifically this? You're like yeah. you know, I think I I think this will help me kind of process what I'm thinking or grieving. Well, i you know, and we we talk about this in a little do- in the documentary too, or Lin- Lindsay does, but um, you know, the I think the difficult thing about grief um, that you know some some parts of scripture do really well is it's difficult to articulate. Mm. And so even, like, I, I write quite a bit, and even, I, I feel like for myself, trying to write it out as best as I could probably ever do it, it's not good enough. Mm. And um, for me, there's the, I, I'm such a visual person that being able to express the intricacies of grief through a visual medium mm. um, gives more potency to what I'm feeling as opposed to just listing out a ton of words yeah. that may um, describe how I'm feeling. Yeah. So, mm. um, and, and then like to take, and I had done some, um, I, I kind of talked about, about this at one point, but I did a bunch of bigger pieces um, leading up to this de- decision right after my brother's passing, where okay. it was like these, and I, and I love bigger canvases, um, you know, overall working on them, but they're more of a process, right? It's like these uh, expression, these emotions of grief are coming at you so fast. I, I can't just like wait and go, okay, I'm going to do another pass of this big canvas. Mm. I'm like, I need to do a lot more than just like this big canvas. So that's mm. it, part of what led up to it is getting through that sort of rapid iteration. Okay. So hmm. was there, Preston, as you developed one, like each day as an artist, did that feel constricting? Cause like in one way you're saying like, there's this fluid processing of grief where it's like, okay, I have this canvas for today. But like, did you find it hard being inspired to like have your emotions be on that canvas? And then it was, what if it was like, well, I've like, I've got seven I could do today, but I have to like chill out because I have 365 days to do this. Like, and then, and then, yeah. No, I, and that, that's a good question. I would typically go and work on a bigger canvas after that. Mm. Um, I think there were some times that I did flow to a different canvas, um, uh, another smaller piece, but I, I kept those kind of um, separate. But like overall, it I think the the act of just sitting down and um, working through your emotions to go from like oh I'm 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 in uh, some other mode that's not being creative, and now I'm going to put the paint on the canvas. Um, it's it, it sometimes felt like I need to get into this, mm. right? It's not just like I I couldn't just break away from whatever I was doing in the moment and be like I feel like grieving right now and that means I'm gonna go paint. It's just like I knew there was stuff stuck back in there. Mm. Um, 
And I think the, the other thing to it being every day was that I also, um, and, and, and sharing all these, I wasn't painting them to be like, Oh, um, this is going to end up in someone's house or it's going to end up Mm. in a museum or whatever the case. Like I didn't really care aesthetically if they were pleasing or not. Um, and some of them, it's funny because I've put, I've sold prints and stuff. Some of them people bought, and I'm like, I don't know why you bought that. Uh. It's, I, it's not, <laughs> I, you know, it, it wasn't one that I particularly liked, but I look back on it and I'm like, I was going through something in that time that made me paint that, and I'm glad I did. Mm-hmm. It's not something I'd probably paint again, but that's part of the exercise is, is you're, you're, you're tapping in all these, again, these feelings and um, things of that nature that, you, you may otherwise push down or may come out in some other way. So is that that, like, one of the counselors in the, I think, video said, grief needs to find a home. Uh-huh. Would you say that was kind of like, instead of writing it out, it was like the canvas was the home where I wanted that grief expression? Yeah, m- most definitely. And and I think, you know, there, there's other um, aspects of it, too. Like, I... Um, I spent a lot of time. It wasn't just painting it. Right. Danielle actually kind of comments on this at one point, um, early on, but the, once I was done painting it, I had to go through process. Okay. It dried. Now I have to finish it. And then I'm actually doing these like super high quality archival scans of them because I, and I, I've done so many other kind of, um, side projects with them. I'm doing some like AI art stuff with them right now. Um, just because there's more to it than just even like what's in the documentary. There's more things I'm kind of like doing to help, um, help myself understand like that sort of time period. Hmm. Yeah. So what was it like for you to commit to that disciplined process of, you know, uh, not just painting. It sounds like that actually fit into some of your normal rhythms, but you're also... When, when I watched the documentary, I was uh, I, I, I couldn't quite discern. I was like, hmm, now how much of this was filmed throughout the year, and then how much of some of these interstitial things are really just editing and filming that was done after the year was done? So I don't, yeah. how, how much of the filming process was actually kind of invading life during that year? Not much of it, okay. really. Yeah, most of it was centered around... Um, afterwards okay and so of course like the the whole process of like unboxing and hanging the mosaic that's all that's all after sure. it's very shortly after yeah um and then a lot of the other clips happened in the year after i in, uh intentionally didn't want to sort of muddy it up with um all the other things now i did there's about 280 individual ones that are filmed of course you know I, there's only so much i could do with with all those um, but yeah, I, I didn't want to distract it. It was kind of exhausting enough. Yeah. Um, and it was also not like, um, you know, I, I think a typical film, maybe you would say, okay, we're going to go create a plan, a marketing plan, a budget. We're going to go raise money, all this kind of stuff. And then we're going to get a crew to film it. Like I didn't have any of that. Um, not to mention again, this was like all during 2020. Mm. So I started this project, um, 2019, and then it was all through that first year of, of craziness. So, um, you know, getting resources for anything was just so bizarre. Yeah. Um, and that was part of like the, you know, there's a lot of things I really had to, you know, leave up to God and, and faith to even say, is this going to get done? What's it going to look like? Yeah. I just didn't know. And so some of the story, even of how that came about was, uh, pretty crazy. So, um, in watching the documentary, you know, it's made for general audiences. Mm-hmm. It's not specifically for a Christian audience, and you're not presuming that people are going to be coming at it from that perspective, but now we can dig into that. And so sure. I, I'd love to hear um, what kinds of things you were processing or going through in terms of your relationship with God, your view of God, your view of God's presence and activity in the world and your life um, as you are just going through these various stages of grief, whether, and we can broaden this out, doesn't have to be specific to while you were painting. I just want yeah. to talk about your grief in general, really, and uh, um, and what kinds of things you were processing, praying through, and and how do you think God 
was maybe meeting you and and, and working throughout that time? Yeah, that's a that's a great, very full question. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to it, so you can take that take that whatever you want, wherever you want. <laughs> um, well, I, I think first off, like the decision to even um, do the documentary, and again, I, I kind of touch on it there, where I actually came down to um, I was in Sedona at the time, um, but or I came down to visit my parents in, in Phoenix. This is um, right around that time period where it was like, I feel like I'm going to go cuckoo if I don't do something about my mm. life. Mm. Um, there's just, uh, there's too much going on at work, um, dealing with grief. I don't think I'm dealing with grief well. And I tried going to like different groups and all this stuff, but I'm like, there's neat. I, nothing's quite hitting home on what, uh, feels like I'm making progress enough on, but so I came down and uh, we took like a day trip to Sedona, came back. And during that time, I think we took like a Jeep ride down uh, out and, you know, they take you in the boondocks of Sedona. And and I was praying partially during that time. It was just like, I need mm. to get out and quiet mm. and, uh, you know, hear God. And so there are the, the two things I mentioned in uh, the documentary Um the, 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 I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to do this crazy painting. That was like a, feel like a download from God mm. for sure. Hmm. Um, I, again, it's like some of these things, I don't mention them in, in the documentary because I knew part of what I wanted to accomplish in the documentary is bring people into this story that is not like an overtly spiritual story. Yeah. Just because I wanted to draw people into and breadcrumb them. Yeah. And, and I've been involved in making enough projects where it's just, uh, people are people and the world's like going to judge things yeah. one way or mm. the other. And that's actually why, um, you know, as, as I, as I go through, if I skip through to like post-production, that's where a lot more of the sort of like reflective healing side, the spiritual healing side came. And, and I'll say that because, um, of course, during the paintings, it's like, um, my, like my wife's supporting me through this. It's, it's sort of an, it's an emotionally draining journey. And, and yes, we, we still like convened in prayer and, and, and all that kind of stuff. But when I sat down to edit it, I actually took a sabbatical from my, my normal career stuff. Mm. And I spent like full time plus just editing. Mm. And, um, during that time, you're like, what you're constantly asking yourself as, um, an editor, even though you have, um, and I had, I had worked with a, you know, Emmy award-winning story producer. And we, we you know, we kind of mapped this, this out with the three act structure and all that kind of stuff. What is going to tell this story in, in a, in a way that reflects me, but also kind of maximizes the sort of like, um, messaging, messaging and exposure. So the history section was where I was kind of able to tie some of that together. So you'll notice there's like C.S. Lewis in there. Um, there's Vanitas paintings that talk about Job. Um, of course, talk about like I actually it, it go, it's fast paced, right? But it, it actually culminates in basically saying that uh, Christ is the most covered, talked about or, um, you know, depicted death mm. in any kind of art form. Yeah. And. It it's doesn't have like this long space to let that moment breathe because it's it's sort of just presenting this factual it's like a subtle stuff. seed that's that's dropped yeah. throughout which that's that's cool yeah, yeah. And, that, and that's partially the point that's why I actually I I almost I started out with the Book of the Dead because I know I I want the pagan who may actually believe in the Book of the Dead to be like yeah I get that and then to go to Job and be like hmm. Uh, what's that about? Hmm. And then get to C.S. Lewis doing the the surgeon metaphor, mm -hmm. and then get to um, you know the reference of Christ and be like, hmm, that is interesting. Uh, this Jesus character is the most depicted one. Why is that? So mm -hmm. it's it's that kind of stuff where I'm like, it's it's supposed to be like a very subtle like gospel uh, you know seed yeah. to people. And that I'm also like, um, as, as someone that, and people who know me, especially like uh, my whole year 
of sharing these photos um, of the or sharing the artwork through my Instagram and stuff, they all had a Bible verse attached to them. Mm. So people wait, was that mm. the same year that you were painting them? You're yeah. talking about okay. So every so every single one had a Bible verse attached to it, and I started getting people who who drop like different other verses. They like mm. so they got people who kind of followed that progress. They got to know who I was, yeah. and so and and that's the thing to me. It, it never really felt like hey, I want to be overly preachy about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and maybe there will be a time and a place for that, but there's also the bridge of just knowing that like, there are so many people where if you approach it just from a purely um, Christ centered lens, that it's kind of off putting. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of like backdoor that. Yeah. And, and I think maybe some of that comes from like my professional life of like, People are going to judge me by my character. If I just come into a meeting and be like, y'all need Jesus to mm-hmm. start the meeting, yeah. they're going to be like, uh, no. you yeah. know. <laughs> like, um, anyways, so there was a lot in there. Yeah, but, so it's it sounds like um, a lot of the project in your mind was um, ultimately about sharing or um, something that would ultimately make people curious about Jesus as they are considering death. Um, But now what about you? Like in your grieving process, as you were doing this, what kinds of things were, um, uh, were you thinking about in terms of who God is? Was there, was there any conflict or change in your thoughts about who God is and his relationship to you in light of, of what you were grieving? Yeah, no, part of the way I think about it, that is like, okay, what, what kind of gifts do I have? I mean, I think, uh, and I've revisited that quite a bit. There's a really good book called uh, Courage and Calling okay. that kind of talks about how, like where your gifts your um, that take place that, that talked about in, um, I forget which book in the New Testament it is, but um, your spiritual gifts. Corinthians. Corinthians, okay. Um, but um, so thinking about those, but then also think about like these talents that I do have, like what what is the yield of those i guess mm-hmm. and and i've done um i've i've been in like church worship before and i've i've you know done different like media art stuff and i for some reason i i've had i i just connect with people right and so i'm like okay well through this process i'm going okay god how do you want me to um sort of uh, share my story in a way that is going to draw people ultimately to you. And part of that is through the artistry. And so let me explain what I mean by that. Um, there's, you know, so many fantastic artists in this world and people who develop creativity. And I think it's easy to um, sort of discount that like creativity always comes from a creator. Mm. And even if um, you think about like, okay, let's take Bob Ross because most people know who that is. But um, if you look at a painting of Bob Ross that he does, you look at the painting and go, wow, that's a gift. Hmm. Why is that a gift? And you go, all he's doing is recreating something else that you actually probably find a lot more beautiful. Hmm. What created that? Yeah. And so it's just this idea of like creating creativity and what a, what, what a creative mind is. And that pointing back to um, our creator, to God, yeah. and to um, hopefully like stir stir that up in people. It's like stirring the conversation through again these kind of like these breadcrumbs. And I think for me, when I'm creating, um, that is part of how I feel closeness with God hmm. um, because that's I know who I was created to be, but that's also a very distinct characteristic of God. Um, is that he's always, he created us, of course, created, you know, the world and, and everything in it. And it's like, why, why, why couldn't we glorify him through that? And that's something I think I continue to think about is how am I using my painting to connect with, hmm. um, my relationship to Christ and, and who Yahweh is and, and just really trying to, um, yeah. And sharing that with other people. So, and that's why actually I, I sent this painting to Dave the other day that I had finished that was like sort of my interpretation of the burning bush. Hmm. Um, and, uh, just to sum that all up, because <laughs> I know I can talk, but to sum, that right. all, to sum that all up, painting and being creative in general, this is one of the best ways I think about it. Um, what is the universal language 
for bringing you bring a child into a restaurant what are they going to give the child crayons crayons they're (laughs) going to give them crayons it doesn't matter where they're from Mm. you could be on the other side of the world they're going to give them Mm. something to be creative with yeah yeah they don't do that with adults here's your here's your menu go give us tell us what you want and then pay us your money right um but we're all kind of like inherently creative and so when you get someone into a creative mindset, it changes things. And it's been one of the huge blessings of this documentary has been people who watch it don't consider themselves creative and then go paint. Hmm. And when, you, when you're in a creative mode, it, it does something different to your brain that breaks you out of just like the very like logical um, and, you know, overly rhetorical way that I think, you know, people can tend to think about stuff versus going, why, why can't I do this? Why is this satisfying? Why does this feel good to me? Hmm. Um, and perhaps give you an opening for like God to actually like speak to you, um, in a way that you wouldn't be open to otherwise. Hmm. So at this point now, on the other side of having produced and released this documentary, um, and having been through this process of grieving, um, which I would imagine just in ripples is going to continue in different ways throughout your life, what do you think um, the Lord might be doing in your life right now? And has your documentary or the experience uh, that you had opened up any doors in terms of your conversations with people about uh, grief and healing? Um, well, I mean, it's con- so the documentary has been out for about a year and a half, and it just kind of continues to get picked up in different places. Like, I think mm, two or three months ago, some Dutch enlightenment type of like streaming platform huh. picked it up. Okay. And so it's kind of getting into these like weird secular places that, mm-hmm. like, again, where those breadcrumbs get, yeah, get, um, get placed. But, I, I'm, I've been thinking a lot about, because I I've t- took a break from like posting on like social media so much. I just got so sick of social media. I was posting on it so much for the documentary. Um, I went, I finished like a PR run, um, like March last year. So I'm just like, take a step back going, okay, what's, what is next? Right. And that was kind of actually around the time we started going here. And I'm like, I just want to focus on like, my faith and and being involved in the church and mm. meeting new people and see where that actually takes me. Great. Um, which I think even that we're having this conversation is kind of a testament to that. And um, yeah, I think as you know, you and I were talking about at lunch, Dave, uh, recently is kind of just figuring out um, where does the where do where does that the the story and my skill set like how does that continue to you know, perpetuate the sharing of the gospel and ultimately like that directness, you know, I, I do think there's a time and a place for the breadcrumb approach. And then there's a time and a place to just be like, Hey, Jesus loves you. Yeah. And, um, he wants to know you. Yeah. What do you say? Like, let's do this. Why yeah. do you, what do you, what, what are you waiting for? Mm. And I've had those conversations too. And, um, and so I, I'm just thinking about where, where is that going to take me? And, and I think the one other thing I'd add is that, um, the, the great thing about the documentary is that people have come to me and they've like confided me more about what they're experiencing and it inevitably turns into some sort of like spiritual conversation mm-hmm. and it, that in and of itself opens the door to be like, okay, where are you at with that? You yeah. Know? yeah. <laughs> um, and, uh, and sometimes it's there, I feel like to, you know, share mm-hmm. the gospel more. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's like, it's just not, but that is a very, um, uh, interesting foray into talking about the gospel because, uh, I think if people don't already, once they experience, um, a profound loss in their life, um, from death specifically, then they start to go, wait a second, where's that person going? Where mm-hmm. am I going? Yeah. What's happening here? You know, the mortality question comes into play Yeah. and that you're not, that's a very hard answer to actually get when you say I subscribe to five different religions. Mm. It doesn't work. Yeah. So what is it? Yeah. Mm. When you, Preston, as a husband and as a father, you know, your family had like a, you know, front row seat for all of this. What kind of conversations have you guys got into uh, around like 
grieving and the impact of art in that and you know because you said like hey you know we always give kids crayons but it's like do we see that as a way right and so as your kids were watching you paint or your wife what kind of conversations did that develop for you guys as a family around grief around faith around creativity any of those yeah um well so the house that the documentaries filmed at. So, you know, I had a, uh, it was actually a dining room that we just like tore everything out and turned it into a studio. Right. So it was just there all the time. Mm. And it was chaos because my, my, I shared it with my kids. Basically they'd go in, they do stuff. And, and so that kind of actually brought to mind, like if, if you were able to make art, like a central um, sort of component to a child's lifestyle, I don't see them ever stop doing it. Why mm. would they? Because um, I didn't, I didn't have to prompt them to go make stuff. They would just go make stuff all the time, and they still do that to this day. And so, like when we moved here, it was okay. Well, how what how am I going to make a new space for that? Um, and even there's been times where like, I have a kid who's super frustrated, you know, they're, they're very emotional and I'm like, can you draw for me how you're feeling right now? And they'll go do it. And you know, you're like, okay, that's pretty dark, but I'll take it. You know, <laughs> this, I don't know how you would describe this. Um, but even their, their way of communicating with myself, I find oftentimes they draw pictures mm. They even at the age they're at now. I mean, of course, they're better at explaining how they feel, but I think in general, um, and this goes back to some of the um, you know part of the impetus of the documentary too is just this: people don't talk about it. You know, even in the church, I think it's hard for people to talk about it sometimes. But um, but especially in culture, I think it kind of goes back to that like. People can be uh, overly cavalier about life, you know, the whole YOLO movement and all that kind of stuff. Um, Or they just don't want to think about that they're ever going to die. Hmm. Um, There's this sense of, well, um, I'm just going to, you know, I'm I'm going to live a long life and I'm going to live as hard as I can until then. And and so for for our family, um, because of just being immersed in it as they were. Uh, it's just normal for us to talk about death and mm. talk about afterlife mm. and talk about um, now that they're a little older, talk about what do other people think about this kind mm. of idea? Cause they're in you know public school. So they hear more kids talk about all sorts of stuff. But um, the sort of ironic thing to me is a lot of platforms have labeled the documentary as being 16 and over. Mm. There's a drug reference, talks about death. Mm, There's, sure. you know, some strange paintings in there. And so my kids <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> have seen it so many times. And I'm like, but they they don't, they just look at it as being part of like, you know, what we've gone through. Mm. And I think that was the other thing too. I kind of mentioned um, in the doc as well is like, um, you know, there's something sort of traumatic that happens in the family. And Kyle even touched on this today is like the shame that you can feel from all this stuff. And, and that this was even a really controversial subject for um, my family to some degree because of the way my brother died. Hmm. Like, you know, people don't want to like put on a, um, you know, um, front page in the newspaper when someone passes from something that's not honorable. Mm-hmm. Of course, if they die saving someone in a fire, you're going to shout that from the rooftop. But anything else that's not culturally sort of, um, you know, uh, looked looked upon in a good way is, is really tough. So it's just we, we've had a lot more of these conversations in our household um, and trying to keep it all you know, centered back to like, okay, what is, what has Christ done for us? And, and the mere fact that they are even that much more aware of death and, um, the ramifications of that actually highlights the work of Christ more and the resurrection. So mm-hmm. you're like, okay, well you, you've seen like some of the impact of like the emotionality of, of death and, and, and us who, who die because we've actually done all these things to like, you know, solely our bodies or whatever. And, and we're just living a corrupt world. Okay. Well, it takes, you know, the perfection of Christ and, and his death, like, doesn't make sense willingly. Um, 
anyways. Mm. Well, thanks for that, Dave. This has been great. Do you have anything else that you uh, wanted to touch on? Well, Aaron and I were talking earlier. I think the million dollar question is: is like, where's that mural now? <laughs> because like oh the, the mosaic yeah or, yeah the oh, mosaic yeah, yeah. I mean that was like an epic I mean just getting that lift in the house I was like please Jesus just let me <laughs> uh, so I mean you got a backlit and like I mean that whole uh, thing I was like man what a project and like it was so cool and so beautiful like it was kind of like just the culmination of everything and then I was like well they don't live in that house anymore <laughs> yeah, like was that like do you leave that do you like are those all in like boxes in the garage like <laughs> you know and i it, yeah so no it was, it's it's funny you say that because when we uh when we had our uh pictures taken to sell our house you could, oh you could, were they up oh i think they're still on there now okay. yeah um yeah but it, it was up so it's like you're scrolling through and it was so normal to me but um, you would uh, <laughs> you'd see this thing and be like, "Well, what the heck is that?" But yeah, to, to answer your question, it's in boxes. Um, the the goal of it actually initially was to have it be in a public ex- exhibition, so like be able to show the 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 mosaic, be able to show the light show, hmm. um, and then be able to actually see the documentary. And so the goal from there is, um, and and this is still one of the goals, like I don't actually consider the documentary done yet because it hasn't been shown publicly. Uh. So my goal is to get it shown publicly and then actually film that as like an addendum. So where it ends Mm. now is to have like four years later. Uh, Because that's partially what makes documentaries so interesting, right? Is the time, the the span of time it covers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then then actually have uh, the ability to get people's responses in in a a greater way. But I will say when people would come to, um, you know, like an AC person or whatever, you know, someone that would come to the house, uh, it was really cool to see their reaction and then, it would just start a conversation. Oh, sure. And and that was one of the cooler things about it that I realized that, you know, you, you could look at it in one sense, someone might be like, I don't know what this is. Um, and then once you kind of describe the, the essence of it being about grief and growing around grief, someone would go like, like every time, oh, I lost so-and-so. Mm-hmm. Some Sometimes it was like a week prior. Oh, boy. And... Not every time, but uh, oftentimes it would lead into a, a discussion of spirituality, hmm. and so it, it it's in this like this bizarre way that you don't think it's going to like end up in a conversation about about Christ, but it does. Just because, again, I think going back to the like, it you know you're creating for the right reasons and. Uh, you know, someone finds interest in it and then they ask you about it. And then it, it, the story behind it um, evolves into, okay, but it's really about this other thing, um, which is Christ. And, and some people go, I'm, I'm on the same wavelength. And some people are like, tell me more. Hmm. So uh, yeah. Well, this has been great. I appreciate just like hearing about the way that the Lord is using uh, specifically your creative outlets and uh, and your transparency. And uh, so it'll be neat to get an update at some point, um, uh, whether it's related to this documentary or something else, you know, that you've kind of like latched on to as, as, uh, as something that the Lord seems to be using. And uh, even more than that, it'll just be uh, great as everyone gets to know you more as you get more uh, connected in the church here as you've already been. And uh, it just sounds like you mentioned that earlier, but it sounds like that's maybe a, a, a really um, valuable next step that he'll have for you. And it'll, it's always neat to see what comes of that. So thank you for sharing this, this snapshot, this little time capsule of your walk with the Lord with us right now. Oh, thanks Peter. And thanks yeah. Dave. Yeah. Is there a, a website if people wanted to go to, to check out, uh, I know Peter. The art of grieving, yeah. The is art it, of grieving, but is it is it just the art of grieving dot com or it's the or, art of grieving film dot com? Okay, yeah, and there you can see um, all the like anywhere it's streaming. 
Um, some some people go on uh, Prime's the most common one, but sure. some people go to Apple TV and other you know random places that it's it's playing. But yeah, you can see where it's playing there and cool. um, sign up for like newsletter stuff and whatnot. Okay. So yeah, Sweet. cool, great. Well, thanks again, Preston. Cool. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. Well, Dave, um, what stood out to you? If there's something that, or should I start? Because there was hesitancy before we started recording. Like, no, like Vader tried to get me organized, but he doesn't realize I just like shooting from the hip. So he was like, "Are we ready? or Are we not ready?" I can, I can say something first, or you can go. What do you think? Uh, I think I, there was many things. I think that, like we had talked about the podcast could have been much, much longer. Yeah, but I really liked uh, just the the simplicity of um, the little breadcrumbs or seeds of the gospel that were were uh, planted throughout the documentary uh, intentionally. Mm-hmm. But when you watch it, it's not like in your face. But yeah. the more you, you, you think about it, it's you can see Preston's heart when you hear him talk, his desire uh, to use art as a way to bring people to the gospel and a greater understanding of how to process grief. So yeah, I think that's what stood out to me probably the most. Yeah. And I think uh, for me, what um, struck you as kind of a novel idea is something that I've been processing for years as well is the idea of our creativity ultimately being credited to our creator. Yeah. You know, he is, uh, you could either word it saying he's the creator of creativity or he imparts what is part of his eternal self being a create, you know, the creator, you yeah. know, he imparts a form of that. But at the same time, we have to give glory to the creator because to our creator, because all that we can really do is rearrange other ideas that we've picked up somewhere else. Sure. You know, Yahweh is the one that actually creates out of nothing. Right. You know, it's not some pre-existing, you know, whatever. It's like, here, this is a brand absolutely yeah, new thing. It's kind of like what Preston said when we when you see somebody do a painting, you're like, well, that's yeah. beautiful. But the original that the painting is based off yeah. of of a landscape is actually more brilliant but yeah. that comes from the creator yeah yeah my dad said to me once that like oh i mean science fiction it's all just kind of like uh rearranging things that have already been you know it's mm. like oh take a lizard and a man you got a lizard man you know you take or whatever yeah. the weird concept is you're just moving stuff around sure. you know yeah. and uh and so <laughs> yeah it is interesting but i think also what we see in his situation is an example of how the arts and whether that's you know abstract art like he was doing or whether that's film or music or any anything creative how it can um strike us a different way mm. and open up opportunities to think and talk about things that we are feeling that aren't going to come up in another way i think that and, and we i think a lot of us experience this after watching a movie you know sure. on the drive home we end up talking about it because it stirred something in us and we felt something and so we want to talk about that and i think that there are all these great springboards that we could if we wanted to take advantage of whether we are artistic ourselves or not or we're just yeah. the observers the the consumers of art there are these springboards in our artistic experiences in entertainment that are ready and waiting for us to to take advantage of, to both process truths ourselves, to question things presented that are not true, and to start really valuable conversations. Absolutely. And uh, I see that in Preston's story, the ability to use art to start those fantastic conversations that he talked about having with people, and just the reminder that, you know what, we don't have to be abstract artists right. or filmmakers or musicians or whatever we still interact with art and entertainment and as believers we have so many opportunities with non-believers with other believers to use those as just really rich springboards yeah absolutely um all right well that is it i think for this episode of the red mountain community church podcast i want to thank arian our producer for all that she does behind the <laughs> scenes to help line up guests and make it all happen um and organizing the show also thanks uh, to the pastors who recommend and select each of our guests you can follow red mountain community church on instagram and facebook where you can also leave us comments and suggestions to help make the show better also be sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening so you don't miss out on the next episode and if by some 
some weird chance you want more of me blabbing on topics relevant to Christian geeks, you can check out my personal weekly show, The Christian Geek Central Podcast. But in the meantime, I'm Peter Franson. That's when you say, I'm... Well, I'm Dave. Okay. You don't want to say your last name? He's Dave Amy. I don't know if you guys knew that. (laughs) We should have rehearsed this. All right. Thanks for listening. See you on Sunday. We we can redo that part if you want. No! No! That's what makes it beautiful. (laughs) Ha ha ha.